Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm here after a slog of a season with Toby from Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Drew. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's nice to be back. It was definitely a slog of a season. Um, <laughs> exhausting is, is, a, is a good word for it. I feel like I'm still tired and, and decompressing, but um, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to be back on here and and I also apologize in advance if you can hear my one of my little ones in the background. He's uh, he's on his way to bed, but he's not quite asleep yet. You could say not a problem at all. We've all, we've all gotten used to uh, recording on Zoom or even just talking on Zoom and hearing the noises of each other's house houses this year. So uh, perfectly understandable. Thanks thanks again for for joining. And um, you know I, I have heard you talk about the slog of a season and. Uh, fab nights staying up till three uh that sort of thing and i, I have to say I, I i believe that you worked harder than me and it certainly shows in your results so so first of all congrats man i mean three mains that you won i think uh, an online championship a couple of um dcs uh plenty of second and thirds too it seems like you were competitive in in most leagues which is something I can only say for maybe half or, or, or you know, best two thirds of mine. So congrats. And, uh, you, you know, what were the keys for you? Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it definitely worked out, worked out well. It was touch and go there towards the end. It was funny because throughout the season, you know, my, my goal always when I start off, I mean, of course you want to win, but I wanted to be competitive in my leagues. And I feel like when I can make my team competitive, um, by grinding out and kind of working the wire and, and hopefully getting a little lucky too, I can put my team in a position to be able to win. And it was funny because throughout the season, I felt pretty good about the way my teams were going, but I'd say, you know, um, uh, you know, the first on that last week of the season and it's the last week, but really it's, there's just still so much. I mean, it's one eighth of the season that we had or one ninth of the season, whatever it is. Um, however many weeks it was the two months, um, and, and so in that last week of the season, I had a first good, I had a good first night. So like Monday was really treated me well, but then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just didn't go great for any of my teams. And I really felt like, you know, again, I, I was doing well. I had one championship that was kind of locked up, but I thought that I was going to lose a second championship. And then on Sunday, everything just went my way. I mean, I can't, I had a, a Brady Singer go, you know, obviously he struggled earlier in the week, but he had a brilliant outing against the Tigers. Um, you know, I had Drew Smiley go, who, who was phenomenal as well. He didn't get the win just because, you know, the San Francisco bullpen doesn't, doesn't necessarily do their thing or their, or their bats weren't working. <laughs> but um, everything just kind of went my way. And, and so I was really fortunate in that sense, but it felt really good. I think the keys to it, I mean, I think I talked about this a lot heading into the season, but my overall strategy was prioritizing starting pitching, you know, fading closers, um, and then trying to get some depth and hitting. And I was fortunate to hit on some of my later round targets, you know, some of the guys that I had kind of as bold prediction guys, Tay Oscar, Dansby Swanson, guys of that nature who maybe saw their best two months of what would have been a six month season in those first two months. And so um, it ended up working out well for me. I think the strategy in general played out pretty well. Um, my execution was, um, was, was mediocre, but I think the strategy um, helped get me to the point where I was able to take down some leagues. So feel, feel, feel good about the way it ended. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to say it, but also it's, um, 
you know, it's one of those things where you do well this season, but I still feel like, you know, the full season is, is what we, what we all really want. Um, and, and that's what proves, you know, your kind of metal, I think is, is, is that long slog. So I'm looking forward to next season and, and, and starting it over and figuring out what the strategy is for next year, for sure. Yeah, I know there's always something to learn and I'm sure even in the, you know, the, the half or however many leagues that you, you didn't take first in, I'm sure there, you, you, you can always have that thought of, man, if, if only this would have been 162 games, could I have even pulled some of those out? So, um, you know, def definitely have those ideas. But, I, you know, in the spirit of trying to get better, I've, I've uh, already started sort of my off-season thing. Sometimes I think I should change the name of this podcast to the off-season podcast because <laughs> that, would, is, that would be amazing. I, I, I definitely <laughs> be, be honest with yourself. It's okay. You're 100% right. Yeah, I really just need to, to own it because I, I was so neglectful during the season. But I mean, you know, it's a problem of keeping up. And then also you put out one or two episodes uh, and then the season's over. So, but, uh, but, <laughs> but, but I have already sort of started thinking about, okay, what, what went right? What went wrong? Um, and, you know, did I make any errors sort of in evaluation? Because, you know, we've already said it, it, things are different over 162 games. Things that seemed wrong could, could turn out fixing themselves. But still, I, I want to take some lessons from this and, and, and try to learn something. And so a couple of things I came up with, I, I, I tweeted out, you know, sort of somebody asked me, you know, what's your biggest takeaway? And so I came up with three things. Really, the first two can be combined. And that's, you know, I expected 2019 improvements to stick too much. And I wrote off some players who just simply had a bad year. So really, if you combine those, to me, it's, you know, sort of don't buy into the career year, you know, uh, and don't write off a potential stud. I think about two third basemen here, uh, Rafael Devers and Manny Machado, you know? So 2019 could not have, not have gone more wrong for Machado, I don't think. I mean, he was, he was still the same guy. He hit 30 plus home runs, but it was like a, you know, not great batting average and the counting stats were lame because the Padres just weren't that good. And then Devers on the other hand hit, you know, well over 300, I think he hit 310 or something like that. And, you know, he just, everything clicked for him. The counting stats were amazing because Boston was good. And then what happens this year? You know, everything completely reversed. So Devers started out with a big slump. I mean, he started coming on like gangbusters at the end, but couldn't get the batting average back up to 300. Machado, on the other hand, turns around and hits 300. And then these two teams that, that these two guys are on completely flip. And the, and the Red Sox are now not a great lineup, and, and they don't help Devers counting stats. And the Padres are one of the best teams all of a sudden, and Machado's counting stats look great. So I just really sort of like honed in on that and took a lesson from, you know, don't, don't get too cute with sort of seeing – a great result and thinking that's who this guy is. So that was one. And then the other thing, which I think I've heard you say this as well, I think I prioritize stolen bases a little too much. Mm -hmm. And so my example for this one is, um, uh, I think I've said this to you offline, and that's um, Laureano and Moncada I was taking in the fourth or fifth round instead of one of your guys Jose Abreu and you know you can make the case that those guys have a higher upside because they could steal you 10 or 20 bases and Abreu obviously is not going to do that but 
if we if we're going for the proven commodity, if we're going for the what's going to happen 80% of the time, 90% of the time or, or more, we know we knew before this season who Abreu is. We knew he was going to hit 282, 90 at least. We knew he was going to hit 30 home runs at least in a full season, of course. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I, I don't want to overreact to this, but I do think that the lesson for me here is sometimes, and especially in the early rounds, you just want to take, take what's given. So what do you think about those lessons? you think I'm overreacting or you think those are pretty good takeaways? No, I mean, I think those are, those are pretty good um, takeaways. I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's really challenging. I think my, like my general lesson learned, and this kind of sounds ridiculous, but is, 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 is almost not to put too much stock in this year in a lot of ways. Um, because like you mentioned, Rafael Devers, right? He started off slow, right? And um, let's see, in, in uh, August, you know, in July, he hit 172, right? It was only eight games. August, he hits 269. September, he hits 283, right? So in his last 30 games, he hit 298 with seven home runs, 17 runs, 31 RBI. So we, it's just one of these situations where if a guy got a slow start, you know, he doesn't really have, you know, and I think we saw this from Devers last year as well, I want to say, where he kind of got off slow and then he just went off. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, or maybe, and I don't, uh, yeah, and well, I don't. No, he, he, he did pretty well. He had zero home runs last year in March and April. But, um, you know, then he kind of went gangbusters after that. So, so I just say that in the sense that like, and I think this, we talked a little bit about this about Laureano as well. It was like, yeah, Laureano started out slow too, but then he kind of came on like gangbusters those last two weeks. And so the question is, you know, what are we just like, if we had a full six, six month season and we just kind of cut out a window of that, a random two month window of that, you know, you're going to have those types of situations where you get guys who started off slow or you catch a window where the guy doesn't seem that good. And so I think it's just a matter of, of, of kind of what you said in the second piece, which is, you know, understanding maybe what a guy's true talent level is, the fact that they can play above that for periods of time and they can play below that for periods of time. And what you're trying to identify is what is the most likely outcome of the, uh, that this guy is going to provide and counting on that as opposed to counting on, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 75th to 95th percentile, you know, when we think about what a guy can contribute. So, um, so I do think that, you know, what you mentioned though was, um, you know, I, 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 I think that um, I also too have been somebody who has prioritized stolen bases a lot early on. And for me, the, the kind of lesson was Victor Robles a little bit, right? is like, man, and it's, and it goes two ways because it's like, I'm like, man, I I drafted Victor Robles and, and those are the leagues. I actually did well in those leagues. Um, but, but it wasn't because I had Victor Robles. It was in spite of the fact that I had Victor Robles. And in spite of the fact that because I drafted him and was counting on those stolen bases, I also found myself chasing stolen bases, which is one of the worst things. And that's one of my lessons is like, I don't want to chase stolen bases and I don't want to have to stream a lot of starting pitchers. Like I want to have a pretty solid foundation in my rotation for a long season and not have to stream, you know, two or three spots out of my nine every single week, because I think that's what, that's what hurt me. That's what kept me from having, you know, you know, potentially elite seasons was these one inning six earned run given up 
by Brandon Belak and Jordan Lyles because I was trying to squeeze out the most by having them do a two, you know, uh, taking advantage of two start weeks where they looked like they were going up against weak competition. Of course, that was the ended up being the Padres who ended up being good for the whole season, you know? Um, so I guess those are just a couple of my takeaways. Um, you know, but I, but I agree with you in the sense that like, I like, you know, you gotta, you gotta analyze it. You know, you gotta take a look at each, each guy individually instead of, you know, applying that kind of confirmation bias or the recency Z bias of, you know, I thought this about this one particular guy and I was wrong. So that means that every single guy who is like this guy, this rule applies to them. Whereas I think we have to look at each player individually and figure out who is this guy? What is he most likely to give me? And from there, you know, try to build a, build a team that is, that is both flexible and, and can, can maybe take some guys underperforming and can, you know, hopefully get a few guys who overperform to compensate for that a little bit. So anyways, that's like a long rambling spiel about it, but I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to take what I can out of the season, but not apply too much of it, if that makes sense. No, that's a good, that's a good reminder. I mean, we got to rein in the overcorrection based on 60 games, but I do think we can learn something from this, you, you know, and it's lessons that you would learn, you would learn anytime um, you come to the end of a season, whether it's a short one or a regular one. And when, let me just try to case it this way. When I go back to the Devers and, and Machado thing, everything in context, right? So like Devers was going in the second round, Machado was going in roughly the fifth usually. And so the, so the thing that I was really trying to say about those two is not that Machado is better, Devers is trash, or, you know, or that I thought the opposite at the beginning of the season. It's simply that maybe the range of outcomes for both of those guys is somewhere between the second and the fifth round. And therefore, if one of them is available in the second and the other one in the fifth, take the one in the fifth and, you know, and, and, and count your money, you know, rather than paying up for what seems now to me like sort of the same skill set. And, you know, maybe there's reasons that I didn't think that before the season, but that's what uh, I think I want us to try to, to do. And so uh, that's a good transition, I think, because a lot of people are uh, looking what? at the guy – one thing really quickly, I think the point that you brought up there is really, really good because it's about value, right? And where you can get at different spots. And the ironic thing, right, is that Machado two years ago, where was he going? He was going yeah, exactly. at the beginning round, of the really. second round. He was going the exact same place that, um, that Devers was going, right? And so it's kind of like just, and, and I think that's what we need to try to do is figure out, okay, Machado is not a second round player, probably. Maybe he's not a fifth or sixth round player either, right? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle, kind of like you're mentioning, just like Devers, you know, was going at an ADP of 150 the year before. This year he was going around, you know, in the middle of the second round. You know, maybe he's not that middle of the second round guy. Maybe he's, you know, a third or fourth round guy or a fourth or fifth round guy, you know, whatever it is, especially given some of the contextual factors you mentioned, right? missing like losing Mookie Betts is not a minor thing losing a guy who gets on base in front of you 40 plus percent of the time you know to get those RBIs right is 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 not a is not a minor thing so I think that's a really nice point that you make there that um in just in trying to establish who a guy really is 
and, and, and not, and not um, letting the most, the recency bias of the most recent season dictate where we take them. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate you underscoring that because that really is the point and it's a great transition because what we're going to do now is we're going to try to take off the rose colored glasses and look at some breakouts from this year. And, um, you know, it's funny, some of the things that you were saying just about, you know, Devers and Machado there could apply to this guy because this first guy we're going to talk about, he, he was going around 150 just like uh, Devers was in 2019. And then he returned, you know, first or second round value. And that's Corey Seager. Um, and we, we, we know some of the reasons he was going lower. You know, he, he had been struggling through injuries the last couple seasons, but we all knew the talent was there. We just didn't know the, the upside. And um, so, so what, we're, what I would like to do is just briefly discuss where we think he might be going next year because I'm I'm kind of thinking Corey Seager could very easily be exciting enough to, to get the Rafael Devers treatment from last year where people you know he, he he won people leagues and the the ability for him to hit 300 and hit 35 home runs is so easy to see that people are going to take him in the second round what do you think about that yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 that would be a, that would be a challenge for me. I, I mean, I think um, I probably see him going a little bit later. And the only reason why I say that is I think right now, a lot of the debate is around like how much does not having stolen bases hurt like a Freddie Freeman or a Nolan Arenado or an Alex Bregman, you know, guys who have done it you know, pretty consistently, obviously, you know, Bregman um, and, and Arenado struggled this year. I think with Arenado, there were some, some injury issues in Bregman as well, but, you know, so I think that the lack of stolen bases is going to hurt him and push him out of, out of that particular, you know, place. Um, and, and I think the injury concerns too, because even though he was able to play pretty much a full season and put together a spectacular season, I mean, at 151 WRC plus, I believe. Well, let's, um, let's, take a step back and think about it in the, the conversation we were just having about Devers and Machado. And, you know, if we'd like, we can find some, some different comps and we don't even necessarily have to have a comp, but I like the idea of, of sort of the error bars there where you say, well, with Machado or Devers second round is probably a little too dear for you to pay. And I, and I would agree for for either of those players. I mean, you're not leaving yourself any room to profit for sure. And there may be other players that you'd like to take there. Uh, and then the same thing can be said for if Devers or Machado is going as late as the fifth round, we should probably see that as an opportunity. What are the, what are the error bars like that, that you, that you would see for Corey Seager? And, um, you know, if you want to talk about sort of what you could, could see out of him. I mean, the, the problem is, with a projection, you slap, you know, 32 home runs, you know, 100 runs, 105 RBI, and a 295 batting average or, you know, or something, whatever, whatever the projections are. That, maybe I was a little high there. But whatever that projection is, people sort of tend to, to think of that as a um, sort of a, a line in the sand <laughs> that, that, puts, that puts the guy in a 
specific draft spot or a specific ADP based on that projection. And I'm starting to think that what we, we sort of need to do is say, well, is that his, you know, 90th, 95th percent outcome? Is that, is that most of what he could do if everything goes right? Um, and, and I know the projection that'll probably come out from, from Steamer uh, will be lower than what I just said, no doubt. <laughs> and is supposed to be the 50% outcome. But I think even for, for projections engines, that can be sometimes uh, difficult. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time looking back, but, uh, you know, I would look at, I would sort of rank players by projections engines from last year and, and Devers would be like a top 15 hitter. Um, mm -hmm. They were, they were basically assuming, you know, he was, he was right in between Arenado and Jose Ramirez and what he was going to produce. And I, to me, that's not the 50% outcome. Um, so, I, so I don't know. I, if let, let me ask a more specific question. So I'm not just throwing out a, a zillion ideas to you. If, if Corey Seager was going in the third or fourth round, would you have him on any of your teams or are you going to need a no. better price than that? No, okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him on any of my teams. I mean, I think part of it is just, um, part of it is the, is the pro is just, um, you know, what, what he provides, you know, obviously he's a very good hitter, but he has a long injury history. He, even this year, he had a somewhat long injury history in terms of missing games because of knees, because of backs, you know, all of that stuff. And then you look at like, I mean, you can just think about, okay, which sword stops are going, you know, in front of him, right. Lindor, Story, Turner, Bregman, Tatis Jr., Torres probably, I mean, maybe that's a good comp is like wherever Torres goes, you know, maybe Corey Seager is a little bit of the West coast version of, of, of Glaber Torres. But again, I've, I haven't been really a fan of, of, of his, where he was going this year. I mean, you still have Baez, you have Bogarts, you have Mondesi, you have Machado, you have Bichette, you have Tim Anderson. I mean, those are all guys that I would easily take ahead of um, Corey Seager just based on recent track record and, um, you know, the fact that a lot of those guys also, you know, I feel confident that they're good hitters, but they also steal bases. And so, and when a guy does that, I think they're, 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 um, Ariel Cohen has the, uh, expression, I think many ways to value or something like that, but essentially like when guys steal bases, um, you know, it, it makes it so that they can contribute in ways, even when they're struggling. Um, and so, you know, I, I, he definitely wouldn't be, third or fourth round guy for me probably where I would be drafting him. Obviously, you know, he moves up from where he was going this year. Um, but, you know, my, you know, if I had to guess where he's going to go next year, I would guess probably around like, you know, 75 to, to you know, 90, something like that. Um, okay. But Let's... for me, for me, yeah, he just doesn't, you know, um, he doesn't do it for me still. So that's interesting. Uh, I guess I won't try to get you to give a possible line for all these players mm -hmm. because that's kind of what we're trying to get away from. Yeah. But um, where, what, you know, what round would you feel comfortable taking? I mean, would you would you take him at seventy fifth overall? Or are you are you looking for no, a bargain? I probably wouldn't. I mean, one of the things that I do in in drafts is 
you know, generally speaking, I have an idea of who I want to get in every single round. And I've kind of planned out the first however many rounds, not necessarily the exact player that I'm going to get, but the general like group of players that I want to attack in that particular round. And I think I feel even more strongly about, about going after those guys I want um, more so than, than the guys who maybe fall a little bit um, in drafts. And so again, I need to, I need to digest Seeger a little bit more. Um, but you know, I just don't see myself having a lot of him in drafts next year necessarily. Um, that's interesting. I, I see some similarities, um, in, in the profile with the brave, you know, good, good average, no stolen bases, good team, good counting stats. Um, you know, may, maybe it ends there. Abreu, of course, has been more sturdy, mm-hmm. even at his advanced age. Uh, and, and so, you know, when I think about Seeger going around where Abreu was going this year, you know, 70, 75, 80, uh, it doesn't seem like too dear to me, but maybe I'm not taking the health into account enough. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's let's move on to the next guy because I don't want to do a deep dive on Corey Seager. I just, just uh, I think I got, <laughs> well, no, I think I, I got mean, what I wanted out of you. On, on I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good question though. And I think it's also like, you know, we talked earlier about getting value, right? So it's like, if Corey Seager is going at 75, does it make sense to grab Corey Seager at an incredibly deep position where maybe, you know, I don't, who knows where um, Jorge Polanco or Dansby Swanson or, you know, these kind of guys who, you know, Jorge Polanco probably won't change much from where he went last year because his, his season wasn't great. Like a Dansby Swanson or something like that. You know, where, where um, you know, why, why, why prioritize a guy at a deep position like that, especially a position that is one of the few that provides speed? Um, why prioritize him versus in a Braves, in a Braves sense, right? He won't be around by the time we get to pick 75 next year, but like in the, the, one of the reasons why I had a Bray on some of my teams last year was because first base was not a position I really liked a lot. Um, and it didn't go very deep and the batting average, you know, kind of RBI home run, the full profile that he had was one that I felt he had been able to provide on a pretty consistent basis where there was one pretty clear outlier season, you know, of negative of not being great when he was clearly injured. Um, and so I think those are the, that that's the thing is I think, you know, we can't view players necessarily in, in vacuums. We got to see, we got to, we got to always be thinking about like, you know, what am I giving up? What am I getting by drafting at them at that particular spot? And then what am I missing out on too by doing that? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You got to think about what you're, options are later and and you're right I mean Abreu that was one of the things is first base you could get parts of the profile later get you know maybe the home runs from mm-hmm. CJ Crone that didn't work out very well for me yeah, uh, yeah, it, was, it was bad it was bad luck though right I mean he but you're giving up like 40 was, wasn't great but um, but but you're giving up 30 or 40 RBI anyway because it's the yeah. Tigers right so, yeah. so there was always like a little something you know in Hosmer you're giving up some of the home runs and also every guy that you could take later you were giving something up and you know maybe with the Dansby Swanson versus some of these uh, earlier shortstops you might not have been giving up anything so very very important point um so the next guy i've got on the list to, for t- discussion is luke voigt 
and he had a, obviously a monster season, the home run leader. And um, I have to say the only thing that I, I didn't – that actually surprised me about this, uh, other, I mean, other than just, you know, the, the sheer number of home runs that he had, was that, you know, there, there was really no – drain anywhere you know he wasn't a a low batting average guy but maybe that was just sort of you know when you're this hot (laughs) you you tend to hit okay but uh I I wonder where where do you think Luke Voigt might go next year and and do you think you'll pay the price yeah I mean I think I think Voigt probably goes I I don't know I mean it's always hard to it's always hard to guess like four maybe fourth or fifth round um, you, you know, uh, I mean, number one, he's got kind of the Yankee tax that's going to apply to him. Um, and I apologize. My, my son is, um, yelling for mom in the, in the background. So that'll make for some, some quality <laughs> audio. Um, no problem. uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he'll, he'll have the Yankee tax. Right. And I think that he, he demonstrated, I think in a lot of ways that, um, you know, um, 20, um, 2018. Uh, can you, uh, Drew, if you want to take over for one second here, I'll um, put myself on, sure. on mute and, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, great. So, so I think, I think one of the interesting questions about Voight is going to be, um, what first baseman we're comparing him to for next year. So like, I'm looking at first baseman that go around where you're saying, and I'm looking at Matt Olson and, uh, even, you know, Anthony Rizzo and th- there's, you know, every, every player in this, in this area at, at the position is going to give you different things, but a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of what you're trying to get out of a first baseman is, is the, uh, the power, the home runs specifically. Uh, and I feel like that's why Matt Olson goes where he goes, you know, fourth or fifth round. Um, and I wonder if Luke Voigt doesn't, doesn't give you that same profile and maybe even with a few more counting stats. Um, you know, I had, yeah. I had talked myself before the season, talked myself into the, the idea that Matt Olson could hit for a higher average. <laughs> it's just, it's just funny how, how wrong you can be about something like that. I didn't <laughs> actually get him at that place because I was trying to find the bargain first baseman later. And um, that didn't really work out too well either. So, you know, yeah. to get, to get a, a Rizzo or even a Jose Abreu type profile, I feel like you're probably going to have to pay up a little bit more. Although with Rizzo sort of on the decline now, maybe I'm wrong about that. But yeah, I think I think Rizzo will will probably fall a little bit. Just you know, he was he was fine. I feel like I mean he was he, you know he was he was he was pretty not good. I mean for where the, you the drafted Cubs, him, right? The Cubs were all just <laughs> the Cubs were horrible. But, like what happened? But I guess. Them? I guess if Voigt's going to go there, I'll probably have, I'll probably give him the same treatment I gave Matt Olson this year and just not have any. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it's, I think Voigt is, it, Voigt is a tough one um, because I think, I think if he's healthy, I think he's proven that he's a really good hitter. I think he's also tailor made, like similar to LeMahieu, I think. He's kind of tailor made for Yankee Stadium. I mean, he hits those opposite hmm. field you know, home runs, uh, you know, to, to right field and Yankee stadium that are, that are, that are super helpful. But 
I mean, if, if you look at his profile, there's nothing really that, that jumps out at you at being, as being crazy. I mean, the home run per fly ball rate is certainly higher than it probably should be, right? Um, 34.9% this year, but his career average is 27.2%. So he's a generally above league average when it comes to that. His BABIP was also lower. Again, you know, probably because that home run per fly ball rate is, is higher. So maybe it's that the batting average, you know, stays about the same or goes up a little bit if the power falls, but there's nothing actually in his profile, like the, the contact increase was really, really nice to see. I also think that um, AL East pitching was, was pretty horrific um, in a lot of instances, right? Like with the Orioles and the Blue Jays and stuff like that. And so it's always hard to know whether that contact rate increase is like a true, is that, is that his true talent level or, or was he just fa- play, facing like some pretty, um, abysmal pitching. I mean, you know, it, it, if you... Yeah, that's going to be something that messes us up for hitters and pitchers this year. Totally. And I can only imagine that's going to be a huge part of the debate all off season. is, you know, is, is Shane Bieber and, and Giolito, are they really that, uh, yeah. that, that good? That'll be they fun, have right? weak opponents? And then <laughs> likewise, the hitters that face them, you know, do they have lower batting averages because they, they faced all those stud pitchers in the in the central division. So yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a mess to try to ferret all that out. But so, yeah, I think, I think we're probably on the same page there, not taking void if he's going fourth or fifth round or are you thinking you might pay the price? No, I, I probably, I probably won't um, pay the price there. Um, You know, but, but who, but who knows, you know, you you just got to, I got to dig in. I mean, again, like if he's hitting cleanup in, in, in that Yankees lineup, you know, it's pretty secure, you know? Um, and, and I think he's proven enough that he's like a good hitter, you know, like he's, he's, he's not, it's not a fluke at this point, right? Like yep. maybe the extent of what he was able to do um, this year was a fluke, but you know, well, the like funny you, thing is I, I feel like one of the reasons for the discount this year was that Yankee lineup and the idea that mm-hmm. maybe maybe Luke Voigt, you know, gets the, the the Rays treatment, you know, and plays a platoon role or something or plays or, or you know, hits eighth in the lineup, you know, sort of a second cleanup type guy um, because of all those those bats and then everybody got hurt. And mm-hmm. um, so, so, yeah, it's it'll be I, I would I would imagine he's he's earned the role for now and like you said those counting stats are pretty juicy so we'll have to see what other first basemen are going around him and um and what you know what discounts there might be we're actually going to talk about a guy later who's first base eligible but for now let's let's uh let's move on to one of your guys again here in uh teoscar hernandez so first of all kudos to to picking him out for a lot of your teams and the uh you know, around pick 300 or, or much after, I guess, you know, very early in the off season, probably a mm-hmm. little bit before later. But um, where do you think uh, Teoscar is going to get pushed up to? Because obviously he was a, you know, he had a huge, huge season, hit almost 300, I think. And he was like a top 10 or 15 player, even though he missed a, uh, missed a stint for injury. So, Mm. Uh, he stole some bases. He hit for massive power. So how excited are people going to get about Teoscar? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a really good question. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, my, my, 
I'm probably not going to have a lot of Teoscar next year. I don't think, I mean, maybe like around, uh, around pick, uh, 80, 85, something like that. I'm not good at the rounds. I just, I just know the numbers, but like, I think a good comp might be like a, a Jorge Soler, you know, from last year where yeah, he demonstrated sense. massive power, obviously, you know, Teoscar's got the speed, which I think may push him up just a little bit. But I also think there will be some, uh, I think, you know, people are smart. So I think there'll be some hesitancy because of the profile, because of the contact, you know, and going I think after it's going to be like where people talked themselves, and I, and I might've been one of them, into thinking that Soler was sort of a reformed, um, you know, play disciplined guy that was going to hit for a, a better average. Uh, maybe, the, you know, where people were doing that with, uh, with, uh, with Soler, with Teoscar, they'll, they'll get excited about the speed, but they'll, but they won't expect him to hit, you know, 270 or 280. Uh, they'll, mm. they'll realize he's a 250 hitter or, or at best. Um, mm. And they'll discount him for that, but they'll, but the stolen bases will prop him right back up. So I, I think you're probably right on, you know, 80, I could see him getting into the, the fifth round, um, you know, in a lot of drafts, um, depending on who else is going there. Although I just feel like there's so many players. Um, like, I feel like there's 200 players that are going to go in the top 100. This year, you know? <laughs> For sure. Obviously, uh, That's why uh, you grab pitchers early, Drew, because oh, there's plenty of, plenty of hitters. <laughs> I've heard you talk about this. Uh, no, no more pocket aces. We're doing a full house now. The full house, yes. <laughs> I'm yes. totally on board. You know, I, 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 um, I drafted my – my 12 team or my online championship on opening night. So Kershaw had been mm. scratched from his game oh. and he dropped to, I think I got him in like the seventh round oh, and I God. started with uh, three other pitchers. So I, you know, long story short, I had like DeGrom, Scherzer, Giolito, Kershaw, you know, oh, on this team. And so I was like, well, I'm, I'm done. You know, I've got my pitching and it was so comfortable, man. I have to say, like, it was, mm. I want to do pitching like that if I can a lot. Now that's just not going to be possible in, in a 15 team league. I mean, I probably couldn't get those guys one, two, three, four, but I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of ideas where you, you tuck in a absolute elite hitter in the first round and then you take three pitchers in a row or, or something to that effect. So totally. it's going to be, it's going to be super interesting. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you about Teoscar, I noticed mm -hmm. his um, uh, sweet spot percentage was 40.6 uh, this year, which puts him uh, 31st on the leader. I'm looking at anyone with 50 batted ball events on StatCast. So mm -hmm. 31st overall, I mean, that's pretty rarefied air. You know, that's not quite as high as guys, guys like Freddie Freeman, uh, but, it's, but it's up there. But, uh, but I'm also wondering, is, do you know, is, is, is that a luck stat, you know, sweet spot percentage? Or is that a sort of, um, you know, predictive measure of skill historically? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, my understanding is that it's not, it doesn't stick year to year. Okay, so um, interestingly, if I look back at Teoscar, the last two years, when obviously he struggled to hit for average, to say the least, you know, he hit you know, around 230, um, the sweet spot percentage was closer to 30 than 40. So, so maybe 
that's mm. indicative of of the hot streak that we all know he was on. So yeah, I, I mean, think he, here's a good good thing. I mean, when we look at like who led in sweet spot percentage this year, Ben Gamble, followed by Freddie Freeman, Matt Carpenter, Ty France, Eric Sogard, Donovan Solano, Dominic Smith, Jose Iglesias, just Paul Goldschmidt, smattering of people, <laughs> Travis so, Diarno. Well, I think what it tells us is like guys who generally you know maybe hit for not in all cases, but in some like, you know, um, high batting averages. Had a good year, right. Yeah. And I think the thing about that is, is sweet spot percentage is, is launch angle independent of exit velocity. Right. So if I want to see like, you know, and I'm sure like, I haven't even looked, but I'm sure when I click on this fly ball line drive exit velocity, that Teoscar is going to be way up there. Right. Yeah. He's number eight. So, so I don't really look at sweet spot percentage at all. I'm just looking at fly ball and line drive exit velocity. Um, you know, and, and the top guys there are Sano, Tatis Jr., Acuna, Soto, Chapman, Sandra's, Seeger, Hernandez, you know, Peterson, Cruz, your boy Soler, Jimenez, <laughs> Yelich, you know, so Abreu, you know, so you kind of, those are kind of the metrics that I look at year to year. And Alex Chamberlain um, and um, Al Melchior over at Rotographs put together a great article two years ago that looked at which which of the metrics are sticky year to year, uh, StatCast metrics. And, and I kind of use that as a guide for what I focus on um, in my research. And then, um, and then they also did an update of that uh, for last year. That's really good too. I'd recommend that listeners um, check out that article. But yeah, for yep. me, it's exit velocity on fly ball line drives. It's overall average exit velocity. It's max exit velocity and then barrel percentage and then some hard hit rate as well. Um, yeah, that's but, great. That's, I mean, yeah. if you want... To, to find the guys who are who are a threat to hit 35 or 40 home runs, that's probably a pretty good metric to start with because those are the guys who are not just elevating the ball but doing it with authority. So it's pretty pretty great stat there to throw out. But but I'm with you. I think I think I'll find that article. Maybe I'll maybe I'll tweet it out because um, you know it's important. Yeah, obviously we can't <laughs> look at every metric. So keying in on a few can really, you know, help us uh, a good ways down the road in our analysis. For sure. Yeah. Now, now is the time we have. We have to analyze. <laughs> you know. Well, speaking of guys who mashed this year, uh, let's move on to to Kyle Lewis. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna. I gave you a list of a bunch of people. I'm going to cherry pick from the rest because otherwise this is going to be a four hour podcast. <laughs> Welcome to podcasts with Toby. <laughs> but Did I'm you feel take... like listening to fantasy baseball analysis for four hours? Well, you've come <laughs> to the right place. Uh, my guest tonight is I'm just kidding. Well, feel free to, to talk as much as you want. I may just uh, <laughs> ask you about, fewer players but uh, yeah. but but yeah what, what do you think about Kyle Lewis I think the, the important thing to me is that we we hit on a couple of these guys that I know everybody's going to be interested in and for me this is just a starting point to case okay what's before everyone gets too excited you know let's take a sober look at what what we can really expect from these guys on not their best year ever which they might have just had or they might have just had a really hot streak and they'll have other hot streaks in their career mm. but um what do you think about Kyle Lewis and uh is he um you know is he all is he a top 100 hitter 
from now and forevermore? Or was this just a uh, season that started off really hot and even cooled down a little bit, but still had some great numbers? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, if I had to guess where he'll end up next year, I'd probably say in the like 125 to 150 range of ADP. Um, because I think he's, um, I think, you know, that he's good. Um, and I think there's some really interesting stuff there with just the, the kind of power speed combo, you know, um, his stats this year are pretty much like, a, you know, and again, you know, it's a smaller sample, so it's easier to, to hit some of these marks, but it's essentially a 30, 15 season, right. Which would be spectacular, especially when, you know, you have a so decent batting still, average yeah. of 262. Um, <laughs> So I, think I realized that he stole five bases. I knew he stole a couple, but that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, that, that means something. Yeah. Oh, for, oh, for sure. Um, and I think he's pretty, pretty quick. I got to check his sprint speed here um, soon, but I mean, he's, you know, he's, I think he's solid overall, but I think he's kind of like, I think there's, yeah, 77th percentile for speed. So he's pretty quick. Um, massive, massive hot start guy though. Cause he hit 455 totally. in July and then 286, a very respectable, 286 in August, but then 147 in September. <laughs> yeah. So a big, big, big drop off there. And it kind of makes you wonder, do we have any real clue where his batting average settles? And, yeah. Uh, I don't know that we do. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good point. Um, and I think, you know, he's hit, you know, career average in 317 plate appearances is 264. I think there's some positive signs there, right? I mean, the plate discipline improved dramatically this year, which is great. Um, and that's going to help him out a lot. You know, his contact rate is still really low. So he's kind of one of these, he like, you know, he's like a talented, a solid outfielder who could be really good, but definitely has, you know, some limit, some, some weaknesses, right. That might, um, put people off. He's also only got like a league average ground ball rate that improved as the season progressed, as did his hard hit rate. You know, me and Bubba talked about him on the last pod, I think. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's some things to like, you know, he's on an improving Mariners team. I think that's going to get better next year. I think, you know, we'll see Jared Kalenic for a vast majority of the season, probably next year, Julio Rodriguez won't be far behind. They'll just have a little bit more um, experience there. I think those young guys will get better. I like what they're doing. Um, so I think he ends up in like the 125 to 150 range. And I'm not sure whether I will, you know, and he's one of those guys where at that point in the draft, you're kind of looking at, okay, what do I need? What, what needs will he fill? So I'm not sure whether I'd, whether I'll have any Kyle Lewis. Um, but based on what I've, what I've, what I've kind of delved into, you know, I like some of the signs and the improved uh, plate discipline, the ground ball rate going down, the hard rate hit rate going up. But similarly, I mean, the contact rate really faded as the year progressed, which makes you think that pitchers kind of found him out. And, and so, again, you know, risk-reward uh, type of profile. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what, what happens to him next year for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would say that if he's going around 125, I'm, I'm not going to have any Kyle Lewis next year. Just because I feel like a, a 30 home run – I, I, you know, no way I'm penciling him in for 15 steals. I mean, even if he's got the mm -hmm. speed, you know, I just think you got to get on base first. And then it's just, you know, do the, do the Mariners really want to let him run? Does he, does he even get full playing time when Kellenic comes up? And then maybe even um, at some point Rodriguez and 
you know, there seems like there's always somebody popping up out of nowhere, like Dylan Moore. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not willing to buy the, uh, the next step forward. And I feel like there's a lot of guys who can hit 30 home runs and a, you know, 250 ish average. Um, you know, if I believed that he was going to steal 10 or 15 bases, maybe that would be a decent price, but it's a little hard to pay that, um, you know, sort of hoping that he can repeat just pretty much everything uh, when, especially when the trend is down, you know, I don't want to be a slave to the trend, but I also feel like, you know, um, I, I ignored that last year sometimes to my peril, you know, with guys like um, Josh Bell and even Bellinger to some extent, you know, after a, an incredibly hot start, like that put the start Kyle Lewis had this year to shame, those guys had sort of pedestrian second halves last year. And I think sort of expecting that that second half isn't really in their realm of outcomes was maybe a little bit um, optimistic. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that Cal Lewis is going to hit 150, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to say that I'm not giving him 270 or whatever he ended mm -hmm. the season with um, just because uh, just because he did it this once, I, I think I think there's going to be some regression even from the end of season line. So, so yeah, I, that's I think that's a that's a healthy place to put him. Um, it's it is hard to, to say where you would take a guy. Um, all right, yeah. looking at these next slug of players that I've I've sent you, uh, you go ahead and be picking out one that you want to talk about. I I want to talk about. Uh, Dominic Smith. Um, I think he's a fairly interesting guy, especially, I don't, I, I probably should have checked this, but do you know if he's going to have first base um, eligibility next year? Like an NFC? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know if we, let's, let's see what he's got. Um, the only I question is, he has it now. So maybe that, that, maybe that answers the question. If he has it now, then. Well, he definitely, yeah, I mean, he'll definitely have it. He has 25. He would keep it. 25 games at first base this year. Oh, geez. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, that's, so he'll definitely that's, have it. so that's important because I think, you know, he comes right back into that discussion that we were having about Luke Voigt. And that is if you can get a guy later who maybe doesn't have quite the power, but maybe he can do some other things potentially better than Luke Voigt. I don't know what you think, you know, Dom, Dom Smith's actual, um, you know, career batting average will be, I don't think it'll be 316. I don't think anybody thinks that, but I, but I feel like he's going to go, you know, 10 rounds later than, than Luke Voigt, maybe. And um, I think I might be interested there. What are your, mm -hmm. what are your feelings about uh, Dominic Smith? Yeah, he could definitely be of interest. I mean, I like the, the fact that he's got about a league average contact rate and, and, and he hits for power. I think that's really nice. Um, you know, yeah, I agree, you know, that batting average is going to go down. The 368 Babbitt, I assume, is probably not where he's going to going to be at. But, you know, his, his home run per five yeah. ball rate is pretty similar to what, you know, it's been throughout throughout his career, which is only 728 plate appearances. But it looks pretty good. And it's not outrageous, right? Like the idea of him hitting 25 to 30 home runs. Um, he was on this almost exact same, same um, well, I was going to say almost the same pace. He played well more games 
he played in Wellmore games in 2019, but he had roughly the same number of plate appearances, strangely enough. So, and he had 11 home runs where he had 10 this year. So, and that was with a, a more reasonable 320 BABIP and he still hit over 280. So, you know, there's a very small body of work, but a body of work nonetheless that, that shows that this might actually kind of be who he is. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if he can hit 270, 280, and he's a 30 home run guy, uh, I don't know. Where, where do you think he'll go in, in drafts? Because I, I feel like Dominic Smith is the type player who, who could be overlooked. I mean, he's, he's not necessarily um, gotten as much buzz as some of these other guys. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably goes around the same range as Kyle Lewis, maybe, um, in that 125 to 150, uh, you know, depending on how rosters shake out. But it seems like he's got a permanent position there. I think the Mets offense, heading into this year, they were supposed to be one of the better offenses in the league. And it didn't really come to fruition, I don't think. But they've got some really nice pieces. I mean, obviously, Cano, it's hard to expect that he's going to repeat what he did. But he still seems like he's a good hitter. You have Jeff McNeil, who never really got going this year. You have Pete Alonzo, who just started getting going, you know, when the, when the season started to close out, still finished with 16 home runs, you know, despite the slow start. Um, you have uh, J.D. Davis there. Um, you've got – so you've got, like, a bunch of, I think, really good pieces offensively for a deep lineup. And so I think he could definitely be a nice get because I think the batting average is, per, is fairly legit. Um, not the 316 again, but like a plus batting average guy. And a plus batting average guy with power, you know, is a nice is a nice um, is a nice guy to have on your on your teams, you know, um, because that that provides the, the batting average is so underrated, you know. Um, heading into this year, I think I think you know maybe there were yeah it was you know I, batting average is huge, um, and so if you can get that with with power. It's key, I think. I wonder if there's going to be any kind of discount for, you know, the, the idea, kind of like with J.D. Davis last year, where he was going more like 160 to 170, maybe crept mm-hmm. up to 150 at some points. But I wonder if there's going to be this, this idea that he might not have full playing time since he's not a very good fielder. Um, and the Mets have like six guys that they should be playing at D.H. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, he's young. He's, um, he's still only 25, you know, so he's a young guy. I mean, I think as long as the DH is still there, then I think you see him play on a, on a regular basis. I don't think that's as much of a concern. But, you know, if right, it is, right. I mean, that's fine too, right? Because that's going to drop his price and make it, a, a, you know. Well, obviously, that's what I want. But I, I think you're right. I don't think anybody's going to be too fooled by – I mean, it was – Somewhat like that with J.D. Davis. He wasn't dropping too far because I think people realized he's he's probably too good not to play. Now, certainly after this season, it would seem like Dominic Smith <laughs> might be better. Might certainly have the, the better batting average, uh, though we saw some great flashes from J.D. in 2019. Uh, he seemed to struggle this year. So who knows where those two will end up. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be interested in Dominic Smith. And if he falls much later than that, this, is, this is a, brings up another strategy point for me. I was getting far too much upside in the 
you know, that would be what round nine. So I'm in the eight, nine and 10 rounds, I was getting far too much Ahmed Rosario's and, and not enough, you know, just 30 home run guys without a great average or even like a Michael Brantley who's a great average and not a ton of home runs, you know, that sort of thing you could get for the same price and know what you're getting. And I didn't do enough of that. And I, I, um, you know, it's, it's easy in retrospect to, to lament the, the Ahmed Rosario, but, you know, you knew you were getting a guy hoping for speed. And when that didn't come through, it really hurt. So I don't have to tell you that when you're talking about Victor Robles earlier. So. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is though, right. Is you do have to draft stolen bases at some point. Um, right. So it's like, so it's like, if you're not taking your Victor Robles earlier on in the drafts, but then you're also not getting, not drafting your, um, uh, your, um, Ahmed Rosario's later on in the drafts. It's like, okay, well, you got to have a strategy for stolen bases, right? Because you do, you do have to have, uh, stolen bases. So that I think is I one mean, thing that we also can't, can't forget is that, you know, at some point you, know, you do need to draft stolen bases. So, so you, I wonder, uh, and yeah. I, don't, I don't, obviously I don't completely disagree with that because it would be silly. Like, obviously you have to have some stolen bases, but so like a, a lot of my strategy was piece it together. So I'm going to get, I'm not going to get a, a Trey Turner or a Mondesi or a VR, but I'm going to get a Mancata and then I'm going to get a Laureano and maybe both of them in the same draft. And then I'm going to get a guy later, like a Med Rosario. And then I'm going to get a guy later, like, you know, and, and you know, maybe this is not a good strategy point because perhaps I was just snake put this year. I just picked the wrong guys. Yeah. But the thing I mean, is, but the thing is, even with most of them giving me zero or, you know, like one to two stolen bases, I was still sort of middle of the pack in stolen bases. And then in the rare teams, you know, and I had 15 or so teams. So I had a couple where I got Trey Turner and even on those teams, I was not first in stolen bases or even really near first in stolen bases. And so I, I feel like there's, you, you can't completely ignore it, but I wonder if, you know, maybe next year I try a couple of, of teams, at least draft champions, where I'll just draft a bunch of Roman Quinn type guys really late, you know, because <laughs> he did more for my stolen bases on, oh, yeah. on most of my teams than, than uh, you know, the guys I was taking in the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, um, for sure. It's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough though, because it's like Roman Quinn also gives you zero home runs. And but you, poor, but you know poor, you're plugging in somebody like that at some place at some point, right? You, yeah. I mean, if every one of your hitters hit, then you wouldn't have a spot for Roman Quinn. But mm -hmm. you know, all it takes is one outfielder pulling. Um, oh, who who was it? I, I had like a couple Brian Reynolds teams where I was just like, why am I? This guy's not doing anything, you know? Like, why yeah. Am I? And so that's a you know, there's certainly going to be a spot for Roman Quinn, especially if he's stealing a base every other day. Yeah. Um, and I, so, I think it's, I think it's an interesting idea to, to, um, to, to think about, um, like having, having like platoons, if you will, on your team where it's like, maybe you have a Roman Quinn and you put him in when he's got good stolen base matchups or when he's when he's facing three righties on the weekend or whatever. And then the other guy you have on the other end of that is like, a 
you know, is, is maybe a, 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 yeah, something like that. You know, um, I think that's an interesting, it's interesting conceptually. I think those things are always really hard though, when you're in a season and you are trying to make, um, you know, you're, See, I, you're trying to do your best to maximize games and, and get the other categories too. It's something you have to do, I think, really in a really concerted way. Yeah, I, 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 I am 100% sure that's where I'm messing up in some of these fab leagues is, you know, I look at the teams that were in the top 25 or top 50 in the overall and for hitters, the number one thing that they were good at is run scored and mm -hmm. at bats. <laughs> so these, so they're just getting more players, um, you know, into their lineup and, and, and onto their, and, and, you know, getting more at bats from those players that are in. So totally. I think that's, that's a big, um, you know, fab strategy. I, I do play a lot of draft champions and so it might be a more viable thing in that to, uh, try to cobble some things together later but uh but yeah if you if you're going to win the overall you have to have some stolen bases so mm. all right well um is there a is there a hitter that you'd like to talk about from the rest of the list uh before we move on to a couple of pitching ideas oh man um there's a lot of really good names on here you know, one guy that I do that I do want to mention as a guy, I'm interested to see what happens with him next year. Is um, is Austin Nola? Yeah. Um, because I think Austin Nola is really good. Um, you know, Austin Nola, I think, is absolutely good. And what's crazy to me is he's 30 years old. Like, where do they, where do they hide these guys? You know, yeah. <laughs> how do we not know? Austin Nola's name before last year at the earliest. I mean, yeah. I, I think last year was his major league debut at, at you know twenty eight or twenty nine years old. It's just it's strange to me. But anyway, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, he's plus on all the skills. I mean, like the skills that I look for. Play discipline is really really good. Um, contact rate is well above league average. You know, the power is the power is so so. Um, you know, seven home runs seems about right, um, for where he was, where, where he's going, but, you know, just for a guy who has, who's going to go into next year, I think with, you know, yeah, you're going to play him as a catcher, um, obviously, but he's going to have catching eligibility heading into next year. He just seems very solid, um, to me, and it's going to be really interesting to see what people do with him. Um, I think the conversations around catcher are really interesting that are happening this off season, just about like what exactly to do. Right. Cause you have people who now, you know, you know, the JT Real Muto, like, yes, like, you know, move him up or draft him high. But then again, you've got all these really good hitters. Is he, is he really going to move up? And then he was injured a little bit towards the end of last year. So maybe the, the full season numbers aren't, aren't what you wanted. Then you got Salvi who ended up having just a monster season, just under the radar, monster season unless you owned him and and then you know and Grandal, you know I, I can't remember exactly what he ended up doing but he was pretty good but there's just this huge gulf and people don't seem really willing you know a lot of the conversation I've heard is just like everybody just kind of kind of sucks so why not get the guys who suck uh a little bit more but get the guys who are better before then so it's just going to be really interesting to see how people approach 
catcher. And I think Nola is a guy where I feel, feel pretty confident in the plate skills and what he provides. He's going to be on the Padres. It's a good team. He can play in different positions. So when he's not catching, you know, maybe he plays some games in DH. Maybe he plays some games at second. Yeah, I know. liked him even more when he was on the Mariners because they were yeah, getting they like moved. every day. Oh, totally, totally. But but you're so right. And it's just like maybe he's kind of, um, you know, maybe maybe he's more of a, a Yadi or Molina. It's not, he's not, he's not going to be a – he's not going to be a Salvi. You know, so, I mean, mm-hmm. Salvador Perez was carrying teams this year and he's got – legitimate 30 home run power but um but if nola can hit 270 and he can still put up double digit home runs from the catcher position mm-hmm. and get a little get a few more at bats than most catchers then that's that's gold especially you know i i don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick you know maybe, maybe not even a top 200 pick and that yeah. would be very cool. interesting yeah and, that, and that's what i mean is it, is it seems like he ends up going in that like 200 to 220 range if he goes after pick 200 i'm gonna have a lot of austin nola next year because i mean yeah. I, I feel like even if he doesn't get extra at bats even if he just shares the catcher role like most catchers do and he, you know he's sort of on the the strong side of the platoon so to speak mm-hmm. i mean austin nola is probably a top 10 catcher for me just because yeah. no not many catchers can hit for that average and you know, but not many catchers cannot hurt you somewhere <laughs> yeah well and and that's the thing is he's just kind of solid all around like nothing spectacular like a good way to describe austin nola is his whole stack cast profile is pink you know so it's not like bright red it's not jumping off but everything's just a little bit above average including the plate skills and the contact rate so I just think he's worth a mention because it feels like people dismiss him a lot because maybe he didn't have the pedigree or, or whatever it is, but I think he's going to be a really interesting guy. And for me as like a a catcher too, because, you know, I really want to have JTR next year again, if he's going where he normally goes and I'll really want to have Salvi next year, depending on where he goes. Um, You know, I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. Sure. No, Nola and Yadier, if you if you miss out on those first two ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, just some some quick hitters because I don't want to um, deprive people of at least hearing the list we were going to discuss. Uh, Austin Slater, I think, is going to be an interesting uh, guy just to watch the stolen bases. I mean, he he was on a crazy pace, and so if he can keep any of that up, if he can get the playing time, I think he's going to be more of a wild card that you can take a shot on later, but. Maybe, you know, I, I hopefully we'll get some kind of indication of whether or not he's going to be a part of uh, the Giants' future, really. Mm. Um, I'm just going to sort of say my piece, and then you can chime in or correct me. Uh, Anthony Santander is a guy who is super interesting to me. I was so happy to get him after pick 300 in a lot of leagues, and I should have had him in every league uh, this year because I was – was excited about what he did in the second half last year. I mean, he had like 16 home runs and a 290 average or something. Um, or maybe it was before he got it. You know, I don't, I, I don't remember the timeline, but he had a very impressive short body of work there. And um, he was exceeding that, far exceeding that this year before he got hurt. Um, but, and here's the big but, uh, it was an oblique. And, you know, Another thing about Santander that I noticed is the dude was bulked up like crazy. I don't know if you saw him, but he was, he was jacked. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, and the problem with some of these guys that get so big, I mean, whether it's just mountain of a man like Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton or just bulk and muscle, I, just, I feel like they, that's, a, that's an injury factor. Um, mm. So that's all I'll say about him. I, 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 would, I would love to get him even outside the top 200 next year. But, I mean, the guy had 11 home runs or something in 37, at, um, 37 games. And, uh, you know, he's hitting somewhere around 300. I, I don't have his stats in front of me. I'm, I'm just sort of doing this for memory, so don't, don't at me if I'm wrong. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so uh, Jake Cronenworth was on the list. I think he's going to be an interesting kind of – he seems sort of like a util player who could hit like 280, 290. Uh, but he's not going to have crazy power or anything and he'll, he'll probably get you a handful of stolen bases randy rosarina is another guy like that although i think he could be even a little bit more you know and maybe someday at his peak get to like 30 15 or something um, i really have sort of high hopes for randy rosarina but um unfortunately he plays for the rays and then i've got uh, <laughs> jared walsh everybody too smart for their own good too smart for fantasy oh. good at least oh they're so frustrating jared walsh was a huge huge breaker a guy at the end and you know what's interesting to me about him is the plate discipline like he just stopped striking out it's very strange um certainly a guy i'd like to take a shot on but it's hard to imagine paying you know more than a after a 200 pick for him because there's just no track record. Although he showed some power in the minors, I believe. Uh, another guy who showed power and for me, not a whole lot else is Ian Happ. Although I guess there's some speed there. I, I really do feel like Ian Happ is going to end up being a, a you know, 245 or 250 hitter, but if he hits 35 home runs, you're not going to be complaining. And so uh, the price might be too, too much for me next year. If he goes in the top, 100 or maybe even the top 150 picks but there's definitely something there and then the last guy is Dylan Moore another one of these where where have you been all my fantasy career uh, <laughs> 28 year old breakout for the Mariners um, and the thing with with Moore mostly was the speed so he hit eight home runs but he stole 12 bases so you know what's that a 25 40 pace or something so yeah i mean very very interesting not sure he's going to hit over 230 or 240 when it's all said and done but um but a guy that that i'll be looking out for and certainly you know if, if he doesn't go where i think he might go you know around the eighth ninth tenth round you know because somebody's going to be a true believer he, he might be the danny santana of this year and i'd and I was on Danny Santana more than I should have been. Although he, I, I still believe injury was the yeah. culprit with him for this year. But uh, maybe if Dylan Moore can go a little bit later than that, I'm going to at least take a stab or two. So um, that's my rundown of the players we didn't really get to talk about. Uh, it, now's your chance to say anything about any of those if you want to. No, yeah, I mean, I think um, just really quickly, like Austin Slater, uh, I think he's really good. I, I just wonder if they, you know, right now he's pretty strictly lefty platoon guy, like a, a weak side platoon guy. Um, I think he could be more. The speed was really nice. The power was really nice. Um, he's a great OBP guy. I actually picked him up in an OBP dynasty last year. Um, 104 plate appearances. Like, come on, it's as bad as the Rays, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And he got some play down the stretch against righties. I'm not sure exactly how he did, but 
really he interesting hurt, guy. He was hurt and I for think... a little while. That that definitely derailed things. He missed. He didn't play a game between August twenty first and September fifth, so that hurt him. Okay. Um, yeah, and then um, uh, yeah, so I think he's good. He'll be an interesting kind of late round speculative pick, like three hundred plus ADP, I think. Um, Santander is interesting. I mean, I definitely think there was uh, a decent amount of luck involved in what he was able to do, you know, obviously improved dramatically, but uh, on his 11 home runs, I think that was on 13 barrels. I was, I was looking at it earlier and there's nothing that really pops out on the, at the page on me. Again, he plays in, in Baltimore and he plays every day. So I think it'll be just a matter of cost for him, like whether he, he makes some sense, but if he's going late enough, you know, as kind of a one of your last out, outfield picks, like in the kind of Randall Grichuk range of around 250. I think he'll definitely be um, pretty interesting, um, but I, I doubt. I, I think he'll get pushed up a little bit there. Cronenworth is a guy I like. I mean, I think for what got- it's worth, with uh, Santander, <clears throat> the uh, sweet spot percentage was almost exactly the same as Tay Oscar's. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's a symptom of a hot streak. Uh, you know, I need to do further research, but please continue. Yeah. Um, uh, Cronenworth. Yeah. I mean, I think he's really interesting just because of all the position eligibility he has very solid profile. Um, you know, but again, I think a guy that you probably end up seeing hitting eighth or ninth on that Padres team. Um, do you think he goes in drafts. I mean, are we talking a top one fifty pick? Are we thinking maybe uh, he flies under the radar a little? No, I think, I think he falls further than that. I mean, even this year, like, in 200 plate appearances, he had what 26 runs and 20 RBI. So over 600 plate appearances, his pace was, you know, 78 runs and and 60 RBI. You know, and, and people feel like he kind of maybe outperformed a little bit. I think he'll be one of those guys who drops down later in drafts because there's question marks about the playing time. Um, you know, know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just what what they do, especially with you know Profar played really well down the stretch and. Um, it, be is really, is, I, I wish we would have talked about him uh, in, in more in depth because he really is interesting. He had 15 barrels, um, but they all turned into doubles. I think he only had yeah. what five home runs. So very interesting guy. But anyway, maybe uh, yeah. on a future podcast, we can look. I know I Cronenworth. I had him on. Um, I had him on my di- dynasty team um, a little while back, but just as you know, kind of one of those guys you add on because you know, he's he never strikes out. He's always had good plate discipline. Um, always had a high batting average. So just, just add everyone in the Rays farm system to your dynasty. Team. Oh, totally. That's this like one of my strategies pretty much. Um, <laughs> except they never play when they get to the major league level. Uh, a Rosa Rene, Yeah. I think is really, really interesting. Just power speed combo. Really um, interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. I think Walsh too. Walsh is the type of guy who, you know, falls a little bit like, I'm, I guess like, you know, he's kind of a little bit like Matt Olson maybe was um, a few years ago, uh, you know, older, yeah. I think a little bit, but yeah, like you mentioned, he just doesn't strike out. Um, he just wasn't striking out and, and, and it doesn't support maybe a 14% strikeout rate, but like his contact rate is really good. And there's no question he was hitting the ball really hard. And that's going to be a really nice lineup to be a part of, but it still feels like, you know, he may drop a little bit in drafts because he's kind of the, the end of the season hot thing that just kind of dissipates a little bit. Um, really hard to trust his playing time either. You know, who knows what they're going to do. I mean, yeah. they've got Joe Adele. They've got Brandon Mart. I mean, they've got too many players. 
and yeah, still Pujols. Those guys, those guys are all outfielders though, and he's a he's a he's he's first base. And I don't think I think Pujols is you know gone in one shape or form next year. I just I just think that they need to move on from that. But we'll see. Hap. Right. Um, Hap. That, that, I, that doesn't make me comfortable thinking that they'll they'll make the right decision there with Pujols. Yeah, it's, I think you know true. the right decision. Part of me wants to see him hit some more home runs, break some more, uh, you know, climb the charts a little bit, but, hmm. but you're right. I mean, Walsh, Walsh is the answer. We'll just see what they decide though. Yeah. Um, and then, um, uh, half is interesting. I need to dive in a little bit more, obviously started off super hot and then fell off pretty dramatically, um, in the second half, but still, you know, pretty solid all around, you know, you kind of, I'm just making sure, yeah, you kind of know what you're going to get. But again, the, this, you know, the solid plate discipline, terrible contact rate, very streaky profile seems about right. I guess the only slight concern there, I need to dive in a little bit about the stolen bases, but I always thought of him as kind of like a, a, a power speed guy. But, um, oh, he only stole one you know, base, huh? He's, he stole one base, yeah, if you add up. You know, last year and this year, it's for about 400 plate appearances with three stolen bases. So again, depends on a lot of different things, but it also doesn't, you know, yeah. He gets on three, base at a decent clip, though. So, three caught stealings this year. I'm not sure if that played into anything. Yeah. And if, he, if he's leadoff, if he's leadoff this year, you know, next year, that'll be a great spot to be in because that, that lineup won't struggle in the same way that it that it has this year you know i don't kind of i kind of lump hap and and kyle lewis in my head somehow you know where, where kyle lewis got off to the incredible power and average start um ian hap got off to a, a crazy power start hit nine home runs by the end of august um you know with a, with a solid average too and then he hit 213 with just three home runs in September. I do think he could be a 30-plus home run guy. I just don't think his average will be – you know. so he might have more power than Kyle Lewis, uh, but but not quite the speed or the average. So both of those guys, I think you're right. I think they'll go in the top 150, and I think that's too much for me. Yeah. Um, Dylan Moore, I mean, I like a lot of what um, – you know, Dylan Moore, even last year when he played, was just a guy who contributed all around. The stolen bases are great. Um, the positional flexibility, let's see if he keeps it up. I mean, depending on what they have. So it looks like he'll probably have second base um, and outfield, it looks like, will probably be what he's limited to. But, I mean, the dude, just he's just a guy that contributes. He reminds me of... I don't know who exactly he reminds me of, but just a guy who, um, you know, who, who's like, he reminds me of like when I, I, I used to play fantasy basketball, Roto fantasy basketball back in the day or not Roto. I think it was head to head. And, you know, the guys who, the block, the guys who got blocks and steals, he reminds me of a guy who gets blocks and steals, you know, where it's like, everybody's going after the guys who score a bunch of points you know, um, and, and to lesser extent rebounds or, you know, whatever, three pointers, whatnot. But like, he's just a guy who like, he's contributing in the, in this incredibly valuable category while not hurting you really anywhere else, but he just kind of flies under the radar, you know, again, and people are really smart. So he's not really going to fire on under the radar next year, 
And who knows if he's, you know, he's 28 already. So who knows if he's a part of the Mariners, what part he plays in the Mariners plans. But I just think it's a great profile. And again, probably one that won't cost you a lot. Um, he's kind of like a better Nick Solak. Like I heard somebody on a podcast saying mm. Nick Solak really wasn't that good this year. And I was like, I wanted him in my, I wanted him in my lineup if I had him on the roster, you know, like he, he stole seven bases, you know, he, he didn't do a ton else, but he didn't, didn't kill you. And he stole, I mean, that's a tough thing to get. Well, you know, Dylan Moore stole a lot more bases and hits for power. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to ding him because he hits 260 or whatever, you know, like I, I don't even think he's going to hit that next year. I think it's going to be worse, but maybe a baseball comp would be like a Michael Bourne or something. Do you remember Michael Bourne? Um, he, I think he played maybe, you know, five to 10 years ago and he would always steal a bunch of bases and have a not great average. And he wouldn't even get quite full playing time, but he had about five or 10 home runs and he was just kind of there. Yeah, I think Dylan Moore could even be a little bit better than that. I just, I think the playing time is, is, is a question mark. And so maybe you get him for a reasonable price and you end up plugging him in more than you think he will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, he's interesting. He's an interesting guy. So I, I'm not going like to get him. him for, uh, for the Roman Quinn price from this year. Of course, Roman yeah. Quinn might be more expensive next year too, <laughs> but, but it, but goes like that, uh, that you can get late or just, or pick up, you know, or, or invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, thanks for weighing in on all those guys. And, you know, like I said, I wish we could make this a four hour podcast, but we're not going to. So hey, there's <laughs> always, there's always next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and for pitching, I, I didn't want to completely neglect pitching, but I also don't really want to discuss every, you know, like Corbin Burns, Bundy. I mean, it's the usual suspects. And I, I think, um, you know, well, there will be time to discuss them in more in depth, but I think most of those guys are, are fairly legit. They may be overdrafted, but um, uh, what I what I would like to do, um, I know Bundy was one guy that you were pretty high on that, that hit, and we we certainly all have our shares of sort of pitchers after round twenty that don't hit. Um, I'm looking at you, Austin, <laughs> both, but uh, yeah. Right. But what, who do you think could be the Bundy or the, the Corbin Burns of 2021? Because I, I, I feel like I saw some guys that showed some skills that were really, really impressive. Um, and, you know, if playing time and everything falls into place, I think they could take the next step. So maybe I, I think I asked you to, to, to come up with two or three if you had them. So maybe name them and then pick one. And if you want to, maybe go a little deeper on it. All right. Um, well, I may or may not have, have um, followed your, uh, your directions. Um, but <laughs> no I mean, one, one guy who, who stands out to me um, is, and I think you'll probably hear this name a lot as, as the season progresses, but is um, Drew Smiley. Um, I think Drew Smiley is, is a really good pitcher. Um, velocity was up for a second consecutive year, especially after he came back from that injury in the middle of the season. Um, his strikeout stuff was um was great down the stretch i mean um i have his game log in front of me you know he struck out 10 padres in five innings uh 14 strikeouts per nine uh he struck out eight in 3.2 eight in four and um 
and he just looked like a different pitcher. Um, I mentioned this on, on me and Bubba's pod, but um, uh, I want to get his name right. Um, it's Jordan. His name's Jordan. He's on Twitter. Um, I think it's Rosenblum, oh. but I just want to make sure he lives in. Um, yeah, that's right. Lives in, he lives in, in Finland. Yeah, jo- uh, Jordan Rosenblum, um, you know, had a tweet after his, his eight, eight strikeout, four inning outing, just about how his spin rate was way up. Um, his velocity was way up. Um, everything was just kind of off the charts. And, and he just dominated down the stretch. I had a joking tweet um, before, I want to say before he went three and two thirds on the 16th of September about how this was the beginning of the Drew Smiley Cy Young in 2021. Campaign. Um, and, I, and I was mostly joking. I am joking because he's still got to be better than Jacob Dugram, but I think he can be, um, I think he can be a really good pitcher next year. And I think that I hope he resigns with the giants. I think that'll be a really good situation for him. Um, you know, innings will be an issue, um, but he's a couple years now removed from Tommy John. He's still relatively young, 31, um, been around for a while. So he'll be, He'll be really fascinating. That would be the one guy, like the late round guy, I can see myself going after, um, you know, right now. I know a lot of people have mentioned Framber Valdez. I think that's an amazing shout too. I mean, he was he was really good. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with Smiley because that's the one that I really focused on. But I think there are some, there's, there are some interesting guys. I don't know who was on your... It was kind of on your radar. All right. So first and foremost, um, Tyler Molly actually kind of started to show mm. some things this year. And when he sort of worked his way into the rotation or, you know, somewhat because of attrition um, and started, you know, get starts in games, I felt like there was a, a, a pretty, pretty immediate, um, you know, working into the, to the skills that could keep him there. Um, so, so first of all, the strikeouts were uh, very impressive and the swing strike rate kind of backed it up. Um, you know, he had a couple games where he struck out double digits guys and was going deeper into games. And then, you know, the, uh, I don't know that the control ever really got there, but I feel like, you know, he was, he was honing it a little bit more as the season went on. And, um, you know, the velocity is there. It's always been there. And he even sort of amped that up the last couple of games. I, I, I should be, be careful that uh, he was going – he didn't go too far into starts towards the end of the season. And that was really something I was going to bring up about Smiley too. Um, you know, these guys, they all, they all come with a caveat that, mm. that they've got to get stretched out. They've got to there's, – there's, there's skills and then there's role, right? You know, like you can show these crazy skills and these, these strikeouts and these, you know, and the velocity and all that, but, you know, to really work your way into a starting pitcher role and stick at it, you've got to have, you know, the control and really the efficiency to, um, to go deep into games. So, but, but I think there's a lot of potential there, just like I, I agree with you there is with smiling. And the nice thing about Molly too is he's he's only twenty five years old. So mm. um, that's actually he turned twenty six a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's pretty hopeful. And then um, I was actually I had you know um, 
uh, Gossman, Kevin Gossman on my, um, on a couple of teams and he sort of took the next step towards being what we always thought he could be this year. Um, and so I feel like that's, uh, I don't, you know, he may not be a late round guy again, but if he is, I think there could be some value there. And then I had um, two other guys that were kind of maybe a little bit more off the radar, although Zach Eflin, I think, kind of jumped onto the radar for the Phillies because they're um, struggling to put five starters uh, into their rotation at any given time. And then the other guy who kind of came into a rotation out of a bullpen was uh, Seth Lugo. I feel like those two are are guys to watch, and I haven't really dug into either yet, so I won't go won't go deep there. But um, I'm kind of kind of wanting to see what can happen with them because Lugo uh, doesn't have a huge body of work as a starter. I mean, I think he only got two or three starts at the end of the year, but um, even with some some bad luck, and he had some bad luck. Uh, the underlying skills looked like they were there, and the uh, uh, he has he's a he's a good control pitcher, and um, if he can sort of translate what he was doing in the the velocity drops a little bit, so he's going to have to prove that he can you know be efficient enough to go deep into games. But if he can, I'm I'm very interested to see where that goes. So and the same with Zach Zach Eflin, I think he showed signs of it, um, but didn't really. You know, the, these are sort of pitchers to watch and maybe pitchers to draft late if they're available late. But I, uh, I'm going to have to do some more work before I can really give them my full-throated recommendation. So, All right. I, I've, got, I've got some. I've got some additional ones that I want to throw out there. All right. Please um, do. Just because it'll be fun and controversial. Joe Musgrove again. Um, oh, no. I know people. I know people are tired <laughs> of Joe Musgrove. What's super funny is uh, Corbin Burns and Joe Musgrove have nearly identical plate discipline, discipline metrics with the exception of in-zone contact rate. Burns is much lower and um, Musgrove is much more around the plate. Uh, than no, I thought Burns. It was... it's, it's actually fascinating how similar their profiles are. And Musgrove, if he can be the 93 94 or 94 95 fastball guy i think he can get there um it'll just it be was, interesting to see what his price is because he did pitch really well down the stretch down the stretch exactly and it was really strange to see him just it, it it's almost like it just clicked into the into place in those last two starts which against the mm -hmm. cardinals and the indians i mean it wasn't like you know it was against the you know the orioles and the marlins or something not that mm -hmm. he would play those teams this year i mean it was you know, I, I mean, 10 strikeouts and 11 strikeouts. And he went six innings and seven innings. No earned runs in two games. I mean, like, I know it's just two games and we're probably just going to get sucked in again and he's going to turn <laughs> back in. It's going to break our hearts. That's all yeah. right. I'm, I'm willing to I'm willing to break my heart for Joe Musgrove. <laughs> but the strikeout um, rate really did, you know, t go to a, no a new level. So that's an interesting sure. call out. I like that. Um, yeah, the other guys I'd mentioned, Brent Suter was, like, dominant. Um, he wasn't throwing deep into games. He was three innings, four innings in his starts. Think, but he was a starter. As a, as he, a he was a starter before his Tommy John surgery. I mean, he was a, 
you know, five, six inning guy. I mean, his metrics are phenomenal as well. Ryan Yarborough, you know, I just worry with Suter that they're going to use him. They're always going to use him as like an opener or in the bullpen. Mm. But yeah, I mean, these are guys that you can probably get, you know, pick 400, some of them, or certainly Suter. I don't think anybody, unless he's absolutely, you know, locked into the, to the rotation. I don't think people are going to push him up too much. Mm. Maybe not, maybe not pick 400, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he'll be a really interesting DC arm for sure. Uh, Ryan Yarborough. I mean, he was, he was fantastic uh, outside of, I think one start, but his O swing is over 40% for the season. Swinging strike rate at 13.3%. In zone contact rate was great. He's got the change up the cutter throws very few fastballs. Uh, three, five, six ERA, one nineteen whip. You know the strikeouts were low again because he doesn't really have that pitch. He can, he can necessarily get people out inside the zone. But I think that strikeout rate should have been a little bit better. And now he's got two consecutive years of a sub five point one percent walk rate, which is just, you know, um, terrific. He just gets people to chase outside the zone so much. So he's a guy that I really like. Um, and then Tristan McKenzie. Um, is another guy who I will be really interested to see. All the hype is around Sixto Sanchez, obviously, but McKenzie is right there with him, you know, in terms of his effectiveness and, and his metrics. And I'll be interested to see how they use him. I think John well, probably. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, McKenzie, you can probably count on a few more strikeouts uh, than you can with Sixto. I mean, mm-hmm. look, Sixto's incredible. Like, he looks. He looks incredibly efficient, you know, like there's, there's he, the control is there. But, I mean, with, with McKenzie, if he can get back to his first couple starts where he was going deep into games, I mean, you could really see um, – you could see him being a, a high strikeout guy. Uh, and, you know, the Indians just seem to have some kind of magic there. So, I, I would For second. For sure. Just draft Indians. Back. Just draft, just 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 draft the Cleveland Cleveland guys. Um, just draft their rotation, the whole thing. For sure, yeah, you would not go wrong there. Um, but then I also think with the Brewers, like Josh Limblom, I actually think he was mm, he was yeah. unlucky. You know, he the skills wise, he was pretty good. And then John Means, you know, he was a guy yes. I was I was really into earlier in the se- he's early in the season because his velocity was up so much, but he just couldn't put it all together. But it seemed well, like he- down the stretch he started to and. And he, he really had really sort good. of a lost season, I think. You know, he, mm-hmm. he got hurt. He had, when he came back, he was terrible. And then he started, started putting it together. And then his last three or four starts, he was kind of back to normal. And everything was trending in the right direction. He even got his velocity up in the last start or two. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Means was a guy I was already on this year. And I think maybe next year is where it really pays off. So, mm-hmm. Great call out there. Well, Toby, uh, I will, we, we will give people back their ears now, but I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on and, and uh, helping me get started with the off season. I, I got to say, I'm excited about it already. You know, it's just uh, the, the off season. I really, I really might change the name of the podcast to be honest with you, because it really is almost podcast. more fun for me. It almost, it really is cool to do all this this work and you know post you know random players on twitter and and breakdowns and just kind of think about 
what we're going to do for next season. And maybe we'll have, we'll, we'll have another conversation and talk strategy or, or talk some more players. But I mean, I could just, this, this is where it's at for me. Dra- you know, drafting obviously is the most fun day or, or, you know, for some of us, the most fun 25 days of the year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> And so, 25 days of drafting you mean months and months <laughs> I've already heard that they're that the DCs will start once the playoffs end so well I was know, alluding come, to the come November 20, the 25 leagues you were in or whatever something like that but, oh, but you're God, right was... yeah I mean I I plan to do this for several months and uh you know it's it's the season is fun but the season is is a lot of work and um you know I feel like in the off season is where we really sort of um, get get the ball rolling in the right direction. So so thanks for helping me get started with it and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, if you want to uh, tell anybody where they can find you or plug anything, pl- please feel free to do so now. Uh, sure thing, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. That's the best place um, to reach me. Uh, I have a podcast, uh, BatFlipCrazy Fantasy Baseball, which you can find on all of your podcast platforms. I do that um, at least weekly, mostly with um, Bubba uh, from Bench with Bubba. It's called Bubba and the Bat Flip. So um, check that out. Um, yeah, and, and it's a pleasure being on the pod, Drew. It was, it was great uh, getting to meet you at First Pitch Arizona last year. I know we won't be able to do that again this year, but um, really appreciate the opportunity to be on and, and to talk baseball with you. It's always fun. Yeah, man, absolutely. Crossing my fingers for First Pitch Florida next year, but if uh, that's too optimistic, then uh, – Maybe I'll see you in the fall, if nothing else. So here's Sounds hoping, good. right? <laughs> yeah, that's hope. All right. Well, and I'm, um, I'm Drew, and you, you, know, you can find me, as always, at uh, Common Sense FBB on Twitter. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.